thanks, Joel, uh, for your prayer and uh, your kindness. I've had the opportunity to talk with, with some of you this morning, and I've just been reminded again of, of God's goodness to us as his people to give us one another. Um, we've, we've sang together and, and asked the question, is he worthy? And, and the answer, of course, uh, he is. He, he's, he's worthy of our devotion and our worship. And so I'm just really grateful for the opportunity to be here with you this morning in this place um, to, worship, to worship our great God uh, together. And so e- even as we, as we sit here, as we, as we came in through the door, uh, each of us, each of us has, uh, to a greater or, or lesser degree, a, a, a belief. We, we have an understanding, we might even say a conception, of, of who Jesus is. And no doubt, um, our, our understanding, our, our conception of Jesus has been, has been shaped by a variety of influences in our lives. The home we grew up in, for example, or the, the churches we've been a part of. Maybe even the schools we've, we've attended or, or the friendships that we've had. The cultural voices that we've, that we've listened to, these, these things have, have shaped or influenced our conception of who, of who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? We might say that this is the most important question a person can ask. Because the way we answer that question determines where we will spend eternity. And so at the very outset, as as we begin, we we must acknowledge that this question that we're asking this morning, namely, who is Jesus, is a question of of great significance. Because if we get the answer wrong, we will forfeit the eternal life that he alone can give We must be resolved in our minds. We must be resolved in our minds to have our conception of Jesus shaped by the words of Jesus. The words we find here in God's word. And so uh, to God's word we turn this morning. Uh, we're, we're in Luke chapter 9. And so we're, we're going to read together beginning in verse 18. Luke chapter 9 uh, verse 18. I'm going to read uh, through verse 43. Now it happened that, he was, that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. 
But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Our Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And our, our prayer is that we would be astonished at your majesty. And so we pray for tender hearts to receive your truth. We pray for minds that are willing to comprehend who you are as you've revealed yourself to be. But we need your help. And so we ask that you would come and be our teacher this morning as we consider consider the question, who is Jesus? We pray in his name. Amen. This, This question we see asked throughout Luke's gospel, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus is is a question we are now asking today, some some 2,000 years later. And as has already been said, this, this is a pressing question, perhaps the most pressing question that we can ask because a, a failure to understand who Jesus has revealed himself to be results in a failure to obtain the life that Jesus alone can give, eternal life, marked by the forgiveness of sins and fellowship with God, relationship with God. In the passage that we just read, Jesus' disciples had to listen to Jesus. They had to listen to him if they were to truly understand who he is, who he is and and what it meant to follow him. We can draw a line from the disciples all the way over to the present day and say we're, we are like them. 
We're like the disciples in this regard. We too must listen to Jesus if we are to understand who he is. We, we might say we must listen to Jesus if we are to know him and to understand the nature of discipleship, that is, what it means to follow him. We must listen to Jesus if we are to, to know him and understand the nature of discipleship. So who, who is Jesus? Beginning in verse 18, we find Jesus here alone with his disciples, praying. And he asks them the question, who do the crowds say that I am? And they respond, John the Baptist or Elijah. Some say the prophet, a prophet. And then Jesus turns the question to them. And he asks emphatically, but who do you say that I am? You've watched me. We've spent some time together. You've, you've witnessed my, my works. And so now I ask you, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter, the, the spokesman for the 12, answers, you are the Christ of God. You're the Christ of God. This word Christ is, is heavy. We might say heavy with meaning. The Christ was uh, we, we read in the Old Testament, we read the word Messiah, which has a similar meaning. This, this word means anointed one. To, to, the, to the Jews, the Christ or the Messiah was the expected one, the long-anticipated one who would deliver his people and usher in a kingdom. The Jews were looking for a savior to deliver them from the oppressive hand of, of the Romans. And so when, when Peter confesses, you are the Christ of God, there's, there's an idea of fulfillment here in this confession. You're the one we've been waiting to see. You're the deliverer. You're the Messiah. And while it was true that Jesus was the deliverer, the expectation that Jesus would be a political ruler who would free his people from physical oppression was off the mark. Jesus said so himself in John 18 in verse 36. He writes or says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. This helps us understand then why in, in verse 21 of Luke 9, Jesus instructed his disciples to keep quiet about who he was. If his disciples went around proclaiming that he was, he was the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, it's likely that the people, they would have tempted to make him king. And there would have been this great uprising among the Jewish people against Rome. Jesus would have been misunderstood. His mission would have been misunderstood. Jesus had not come to lead a political charge. Instead, he came to suffer, to be ridiculed, to be killed, and, and ultimately to be raised. These words from the lips of our Lord would have been shocking to his disciples. A suffering Messiah? These words weren't what the disciples were expecting in the Deliverer. 
in the Messiah, but they needed to have their understanding of Jesus shaped by the revelation, his revelation of himself to them. Instead of, instead of clinging to their own preconceived ideas of whom the Messiah would be, and the same is true for us today, we too must listen to the words of Scripture if, we're rightly to un- if we are to understand rightly who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. Jesus said that it was necessary for him to suffer. The Son of Man must suffer. This speaks of God's eternal plan to redeem a people. God's eternal plan to send His Son into the world to redeem a people for Himself. Jesus wasn't coerced to the cross. He went there willingly in submission and obedience to his Father. He willingly subjected himself to the ridicule and the rejection of those whom he came to save. It's right for us this morning to to pause for a moment and to consider Jesus our Savior. Jesus willingly gave himself. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He willingly gave himself. He's the suffering servant. Have you considered that Jesus knew every sin you and I would commit? He knew all of them. And still, he willingly gave himself, suffered in our place to cleanse us and to give us an opportunity to be in relationship with God. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Jesus is the suffering servant about whom Isaiah the prophet spoke when he said he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus is indeed the Christ of God, the deliverer of his people, the Messiah, but his path to victory and ultimately to to deliverance was different than what the disciples understood. It's different than what they anticipated and so they needed to listen to him in order to understand, who are you? They didn't understand the suffering Messiah. And lest we're we're too harsh with them, we too must acknowledge that we often struggle to understand Jesus as the suffering Messiah. On a daily basis, then, we must must understand that we need our minds to be refreshed, to be renewed with the knowledge that following Christ, the suffering servant, this life will be marked by suffering. This leads us then to this the second portion in, in Luke 9 where we see the answer now to the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Who is Jesus? He's the Christ. He's the Christ of God. He's the long-awaited Messiah. And now we're right to ask, if this is who he is, what does it mean to follow him? 
what is the nature what is the nature of discipleship in the same way that the the path of the christ was shocking to the disciples the path of the christ marked by suffering so the path of following christ was shocking or surprising in other words it's it, the reason so is be, is because it's not what what they nor what we expected what they expected so what does it mean to follow jesus Beginning in verse 23, then we see a description of discipleship. And here we see that, that Jesus' followers give up their lives. They give their lives. Let me say with, with conviction and with clarity, conviction and clarity that salvation is by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Jesus Christ alone. Salvation never has been, nor will ever be, by any sort of work. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. I say this as we begin to look at this section that instructs us about what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ with the concern that, that this not somehow be perceived as salvation by works. Rather, this is the nature of true discipleship. This is the nature of, of saving faith. This is what it means to be a disciple of the crucified and risen Messiah. Jesus says, if any will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So let's consider each of these. First, to deny oneself. What does it mean to deny myself? It means to, to let go of any claim that I have on my life. It's the recognition that I in myself have nothing by which to, to, to make myself uh, somehow worthy before God. Nothing by which to commend myself to God. It's the letting go of my, myself and my desires. It means I'm, I'm no longer pursuing my own will, but I'm pursuing the will of my God. The second thing Jesus says is that in order to follow him, we must take up our cross. When the disciples heard these words, uh, the, the imagery that it would, would have immediately come into their mind would be that of a convicted criminal carrying the crossbeam to the place of crucifixion. In, in their minds, the cross was only an instrument of, of torture and ultimately, ultimately of death. In saying that a person then must take up his cross in order to follow Jesus, Jesus is saying we must be willing to renounce everything in our lives up to our very lives for his sake we might say to take up our cross is to say my life is over the pursuit of my life is over the third thing jesus says is we must follow him having denied myself taken up my cross I now follow him. 
The life of the disciple of Jesus is marked by a following. This is an ongoing thing in our lives. We follow Jesus. We see this illustrated in in, in the parable of the soils. Do you remember this parable? Jesus tells this parable. There was a sower, and he goes out to sow the seed, and, and some of the seed falls on the hard soil. It's immediately trampled. And the birds come and scoop up, the, scoop up the seeds. And he tells of another soil. It's rocky soil. And the seeds fall on this soil and, and they spring up for a while. But the sun comes out and uh, the, the roots seek to push their way down, but they're met there by the hard rock that lies underneath the surface. There's no moisture and they wither and die. And then there's the third soil, the thorny soil. And again, the plant flourishes for a while, but the thorns come and choke it out. Here are those who appeared to follow Christ for a time. Followed for a time, and then the cares of the world came and, and choked them out. But then there's the fourth soil, the good soil. And the seed falls here, and, and, and the ground produces an abundant crop, 30, 60, and 100-fold. This is a life marked by the true disciple, one who follows Jesus. Jesus isn't speaking about a, a, a perfect life, but the trajectory of the follower of Christ is one marked by obedience to him. It's, it's following after their Savior. Jesus here is teaching what it means to be his disciple. This is the nature of discipleship. Denying oneself, taking up your cross, and following him. Those who follow Jesus as, as their Lord and Master then must be willing to endure the ridicule, the scorn, the mockery that comes with following him. The message of the cross is, is foolishness to the world. A suffering Messiah? But when the Lord changes a person's heart and a person's mind, we start to think differently. Our affections, the things that, that motivate us, the things that we love are different. John says in 1 John, uh, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions, they're not from the Father, but from the world. And so we as followers of Christ then are, are willing to bear the mockery that comes with not loving the things of the world. Hear the words again of Peter. Peter, in his, in his first letter, he's writing to, to believers who, who've been scattered throughout this region and they're, they're enduring uh, persecution that, that often took the shape of being socially ostracized for their beliefs. Right? That sounds a bit like where we are today. Right? Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 4. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. The Gentiles are just speaking about the ways of the world, Right? The time is past for those things. Living in sensuality, passions, drink, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. 
with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. So Peter is saying, yes, these, these things once marked your life, but those days are over. And now uh, the, the, the crowd you used to run with, when they, when they see you're saying, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going there anymore. My thinking has been changed. I'm following Jesus. They malign you. They mock you. They ridicule you. Right? This is the life of the disciple of Jesus. This is the nature of discipleship. Simply stated, we might say the disciple of Jesus must give up his life to follow Jesus. Look with me, please, at verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Saving one's life in the present is, is living for yourself. It's living the way that, that you want to live. We, we, we might say it's an unwillingness to surrender and let go. It, it manifests itself in an attitude that says, I will live my life in my way. I will determine what's right and what's wrong for me. I will spend my money and I will spend my time in the way that I choose. Our Lord warns about this kind of an attitude, saying that the person who seeks to save his life in this way will ultimately lose his life. How kind of the Lord to tell us. How kind of the Lord to teach us. Here is the way to eternal life. There's an eternal perspective here in these verses. We may save our lives by, by, by pursuing all the things in the present, but in the end, we will lose it, all of it, including our very soul. The attempt to save our life, that is, to live in the present, is, is, is short-sighted. It's short-sighted at best and damning at worst. Perhaps you've seen this, this bumper sticker. Maybe you've seen this. It says, um, whoever dies with the most toys wins. You seen this? It's a lie. It's exactly contrary to what our Lord is teaching. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul. So what does it mean to lose one's life for Jesus' sake? It's the giving up of all things for him. It means that our greatest allegiance is to Jesus. It means the pursuit of Christ is my highest aim. It's holding with open hands all the things that the Lord has entrusted to us. Even the things we hold most dearly. Our homes. God in his kindness provides a place for us to live in a, in a, in a wonderful community. But losing our life for Jesus means that we are willing to hold even our homes with open hands 
And we're willing to move any place that he would call us to live so we could be proclaimers of his goodness. Our friendships. How kind of the Lord to give us friendships. But again, we hold those friendships loosely. We hold them with open hands before the Lord and say, we're willing to say goodbye to these friends if the Lord would call us to a different place. Our career, our career, losing our life may mean, it may mean that we, we forego a promotion that would demand more of my time than I'm able to give and still be faithful to God's first call on my life, namely to make his name known. our families, our children, our personal comfort and security. We hold all of these things before our great God with open hands. Once we held them like this, and now God in his kindness has shown us that to follow him means we, we open our hands We hold these things loosely before him. We who are following Jesus have considered the cost. We've considered the cost by his grace and said, yes, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my life. How good our God is. He will keep us. The psalmist says he will keep you from all evil. He will keep you your life. Hear the words of Isaiah, the prophet in Isaiah 40, where he says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Do you know the Lord knows everything about you? He knows everything about everything. And he has said, here's what it means to follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow after me. We must listen to Jesus if we are to know him and understand the nature of discipleship. As we consider then what it means to follow Jesus, we we acknowledge there's a decision here. Either save our lives in the present and forfeit it for eternity or we give up our lives in the present and save it for eternity. If you're choosing to save your life this morning, you must realize that at the very same time you're forfeiting eternal life. If you're holding on to the life that you treasure and you think that someday, someday I'll, I'll surrender to him, please consider the danger of thinking this way. Because we don't know, none of us are promised tomorrow. So decide even now, even now to turn to him, to turn to Jesus. Put your trust in him. Put your trust in Jesus and experience the joy of following him. He says, I came to give life and to give it abundantly. Forgiveness of sins, fellowship with God and hope of eternal life. Jesus said he came to give life abundantly. By that, he didn't mean that our lives would be free from trial and difficulty or suffering. But what he did mean 
is he would give us a life marked by suffering now that leads to glory. Suffering now that leads to glory. This moves us into this final section where we're going to ask the question, where does following Jesus lead? Where does following Jesus lead? If this is who Jesus is, he's, he's, he's the Christ, what does following him look like? It looks like laying down my life and, and, and entrusting myself to him. What is this, this path of, of following Christ? What's the end? And what we see here in the transfiguration is it leads to glory. Here in this section, we're, we're, we're given just a little glimpse. We're given a glimpse of Jesus in his glory. And we hear God the Father say, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. In the same way that it was instruction for those, those disciples who were there with Christ on the mountain, so it is instruction for us this morning. Listen to Jesus. And so for, for us here this morning, we hear the words of the Father. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. It was imperative for those disciples to hear the words, to listen to Jesus because he wasn't the Messiah in the way that they thought he would be. Jesus came to die. The disciples had to listen carefully because it was contrary to their way of thinking. And the same is, the, is true for us here this morning. Our understanding of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him must be grounded in what Jesus has revealed about himself here in his word. The path of Jesus was one of suffering that led to glory. And in this transfiguration, the disciples were given a little glimpse of this glory, a little glimpse of the glory of Christ and, and the glory that will be revealed when he returns for his own. Those who follow Jesus must be willing to give up their lives and join with the Christ in suffering in this life as we await his return when we will not only see him in his glory, but we will be glorified with him. And so our prayer is that our great God would give us grace to listen to Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning for your kindness. You've, you've told us who you are. And you've made a way for us to know you. And so our prayer is that we would listen. Make us faithful. Make us people who are who are willing to boldly proclaim your name to a world who so desperately needs to hear you and to know you. Help us to walk in humble obedience for the sake of your great name. Amen.